Hello and welcome to Get Fruitful Conversations. I'm your host, Anwyn Cooper, and if you're interested in growing a passion-fueled, purpose-driven enterprise and believe that business can be a force for greater good, then this is the podcast for you. Each episode, I'll be talking with inspiring entrepreneurs and inviting them to share how they're pioneering new ways of working to create more prosperity and positive impact for people and the planet. We'll be bringing you fresh insight and practical actions to generate more income and impact through your own business. Our purpose is to give you new perspectives on how to align your vision to a bigger mission in a way that fulfills your personal potential while also generating a longer lasting legacy and more value for all. So thanks for tuning in. I'm delighted you're here to listen. Now let's get fruitful with today's conversation. My guest today is Linda Garcia, founder and director of Aluxi Consulting, and she is a business productivity specialist who brings her global expertise to small and medium-sized businesses. Linda is based in Kent and has travelled the world throughout her career. She started off with her first degree in biology and later gained an MBA from Aston Business School in Birmingham before going on to pursue an international consulting career. And that has seen her on a very varied uh, set of jobs, ranging from sitting on milk floats at three o'clock in the morning, observing the working practices of the milkman, standing alongside lumberjacks in South American pine forests, spending hours on shoe manufacturing lines in Eastern Europe, to identify and rectify causes of downtime and working alongside welding robots in the USA to streamline operator utilization. So she's had a really interesting career um, working in lots of different countries and now based in Kent um, working with SMEs. She also does a lot of business for good, which is why I've invited her on today and uh, has been recognised for her voluntary contribution to charities and schools in Kent uh, through being a runner-up in the contribution to the community category and also winner of Professional Achievement Award through the Kent Independent Traders. And she's also a fellow of the Chartered Management Institute. So she's had lots of recognition for her career and community contribution to date. So welcome, Linda. Really excited to have you on to talk oh, today. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you, Anne. So obviously these conversations are all about business for good. So I want to just kick off by asking you, what does business for good mean for you? Well, I think on a personal level, I mean, I'm at that stage in my life where I, I am bringing my business consultancy to the Kent arena. This is where I've, I was born and bred in Kent. And I'm at the stage where both my kids have left home. I've got a lot more time on my hands to sort of work in the community. And when you look back on life and think how much life has given me and like what you've just read out, it sounded a bit like this is your life. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of seeing that there are a lot of arenas that I can help with the expertise that I have, and it doesn't necessarily have to be for money. Um, so I've got the opportunity to 
offer my services to charities, to schools. And I think that's, you know, it's not going to be possible for all business owners at like different stages of developing and growing a business. It can be quite stressful, quite hectic. Um, but I've now sort of found that place where I can dedicate 20 or 30% of my time to um, probably closer to 20 to other organisations. And I enjoy meeting new people, which hasn't been very fruitful for the last 18 months. It's all been via Facebook and Zoom, uh, yeah, video conferencing. Um, but I also think the globe, globally, the human race is becoming a lot more aware of how we're completely running the planet and the people on it into the ground. You know, we've got animal species dying out by the minute. And I think that has now become, you know, a hot topic along with, for example, you know, the mental health, well-being and mental awareness over the last sort of decade has also become another new focus that we all have to take. And we're starting to become a lot more mindful. I think mm. that's the word that's the, sort of the buzzword at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. But that mindfulness. And I have always been an avid environmentalist, you know, since the 70s. I was a friend of the earth. Um, and so the new focus, I know, what, which is it the, which is the organisation that has the 17 social... Oh, UN goals. Yeah, the UN, the UN sustainability goals. goals yeah. yeah, Friday morning before my holidays, I'm a bit brain dead. But those UN goals have started to sort of pull together so many different strands of what we as a, as a, a human race need to be focusing on, which isn't just animals and environment but it's also how are we treating each other as human beings mm. so that's I'm, I'm very very uh dedicated and loyal to that idea of we all need to be better people and we need to be taking better care of our planet because it's you know that the, the stuff that the human race is doing to the planet is affecting us right now so it's not even now a matter of me trying to create a better world for my kids futures we are now living in that situation and we have to get it cleaned up and we have to be better humans to each other. So there's a mm. massive, you know, shift in the way that we've all started to relate to each other and the world that we live in. So that Absolutely. is something I, I hate to use the P word, but I am seriously passionate about that. I can't save the world alone. And, you know, sometimes you know, some of the things that I focus on are such a small drop in the ocean. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm quite focused on. There is a lot of good that needs to be done out there, and I've got the time and I've got the energy to do it. So I'm mm. going to do every little thing that I can. Yeah, brilliant. So tell us a little bit about what you've been doing so far. I know I know you've had lots of different um, involvements with with different charities, but maybe give us a little summary of some of the yeah, things how, that you've how far back would you like me to given go? your time to maybe more recently. Yeah, all things that you're working um, on at the moment. Yeah, there's, oh, well, this year, I think during lockdown, the one thing that it did for me from a positive perspective was got me out. Like when we only had the opportunity to go out and exercise for an hour a day, uh, my, the, you know, the rebellion in me thought I am going to go and get my hour every day because that's the only thing that they're letting me do. So I, I had always been a bit of, no, I, I was keeping fit. I wouldn't say I was like a mega athlete. I'm still not a mega athlete. But I was regularly in the gym and swimming um, just, you know, to look after number one. Otherwise, I can't look after anybody else. And so during the lockdown period, that actually became a key focus. Every day, myself and my husband would be out either cycling or walking. 
Um, and but I'm the sort of person that I need to have a focus. I can't just do things for the sheer hell of it, which mm-hmm. is a bit you know, weird. Um, and previously as a family, we've always done, well, I say the last 10 or 15 years, we have focused on fundraising for charitable causes, um, Breast Cancer Now, British Heart Foundation, uh, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, any, all of those sort of charities that have maybe have been diseases or affected us as a family have been mm. ones that we want to contribute to. And I think, you know, people are always going to latch on to those that they feel, you know, a heart towards. Or have yeah, heart. of course. Um, so, but I'd always taken, well, I say the, I took the easy option. I would be doing things like arranging the ball. We, we did a big charity ball, which made £5,000 back in 2017. Whereas the, the guys in the family were doing these mega challenges. You know, my husband and my son did the coast to coast uh, up in the north, 190 miles over five days. Mario rode 110 miles up the Thames against oh, wow. the raising money. And that, you know, that raised about 30,000 pounds. But these were things that I was in the background doing the logistics, you know, getting the sandwiches at the stop points, organising the, you know, the T-shirts or whatever it took. So during lockdown, I was doing all this exercise. And, and when we went back into lockdown over December, January, February, I decided, right, in 2021, there was a couple of challenges that were coming up and I thought I'm going to do three in 2021 and they became my target for having to stay fit and achieve certain mm-hmm. distances and and I thought right so we'll do that and I'll start promoting that for charitable work um, so I did the first one was a 20k walk uh, around London mm-hmm. um, part of the Trek 26 campaign for Alzheimer's Society so that was a bit of a walk. That was your warm-up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, but you can't just go out and walk 20k you know I've, I've generally been trying to do two or three 5k walks a week just mm-hmm. to keep the stamina up and the leg muscles working um, and then this weekend um, I have I, I subscribed to the Tough Runners tri- Kent Triathlon but there are there are two versions of a triathlon I am on very much the novice or sprint triathlon I'm not doing the full triathlon I'm way past that um, sadly that the event had, was cancelled due to the COVID restrictions still being in place but my sister and I have decided to do one anyway <laughs> we're going to be in my local gym pool on Sunday morning doing the swim that's a 750 meter swim we've got a 20k bike ride and I know my routes around you know the area that I live very well so we've pitched a 20k route and then we jump off the bikes and do a 5k walk because I can't run because my hips are shot to pieces Um, And so that's my second challenge for 2021, which I'm raising money for Parkinson's UK. Mm -hmm. Um, My father was sadly diagnosed with Parkinson's in his mid seventies and it eventually was, you know, that caused his death sadly. Um, And I know, so I know and understand the work that the Parkinson's research do. And that's something else that I'm very sort of, you know, determined to help them raise money for their um, cause. And and so and then in September, just as my third challenge to keep me working over my holiday, basically, um, it's a much lesser challenge than the triathlon. But we I do regularly the 15 kilometre crocus walk, which Mm -hmm. is a regular annual event. And we walk up and over the White Cliffs of Dover, stop for a lunch and a raffle with the organiser. And that is for breast cancer now. So that's 15k walk in September. So then I'm going to have to find some challenges to keep me going into 2022. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, sounds like so you've got your work cut my, out for you. my sort of local charity fundraising. But from, more from a business perspective, 
Um, I've also recently I signed up with the Kent Foundation. Mm-hmm. Now that to me is a really powerful, um, it's not a company, it's an organisation, and their mission is to help the 18 to 30 year olds who are looking to start up new businesses or they're sort of in their early years. And they use the you know people from the business community to mentor those entrepreneurs and those business startups. And I've now got two mentees through that. And to be honest, and when it's so refreshing, because they actually keep you feeling young, because they've still <laughs> got so much energy, so much enthusiasm, which sometimes needs to be like pulled, reined in a little bit and say, right, let, right we've got, let's take all of that and, and make something a little bit more constructive. Um, so, and that is really using my skill sets and my, you know, my core strengths to their full. Yeah. Which I've obviously been a little bit stifled with over the COVID period. I, I wasn't meeting or doing much work with any of the clients because they were obviously in, in various stages of their businesses being um, put on hold for a while. So that it keeps me stimulated, and and it sounds really very rewarding. Positive. Yeah, when you see them starting to get some positive results and actually. No, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing somebody taking your advice and it works. Mm. So, yeah, so the Kent Foundation has become a key focus for me on, on the mentees. And I've also, obviously, the schools, um, I'm an enterprise advisor for one, one of our local academies. Mm-hmm. But that, again, has been slightly stifled the last 18 months because the schools have been in such, um, you know, difficult circumstances that the teaching crew haven't being able to focus on the bigger perspective of careers yeah but yeah so the enterprise advisor is another role that I really enjoy doing because it's trying to get education meeting business so that the kids and the students can really understand why they're going through this education process and what is waiting for them when they get to age 18 or 21 if they choose to go on to university or whatever which isn't you know it doesn't have to be it's not university isn't the be all and end all of education these days um, and it's yeah, it's just trying to get a little bit more exposure to the students of what's going on in the outside world through the education advisors program and, and helping them deliver deliver on the government's new Gatsby um, benchmark, which I won't bore you with this morning. <laughs> oh, that sounds interesting. I've not heard of that. Can you give us a quick summary? Uh, well, the Gatsby benchmarking was a, a, another initiative brought in by government that has to be included in the curriculum, and it states that every student should achieve at least one hour of a meaningful contact with a business with a business environment or a workplace experience right. each academic year okay. and you know one hour sounds very little but yeah trying to what, build what that difference in, is that going to make <laughs> well but very often, it's better than nothing isn't it yeah very often they achieve a lot more than that but you know in in some schools even just for trying to find one hour for if you've got 12 1300 kids and students on, mm. on their cohort that's a lot of coordination. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the amount of time and energy that goes into having to get the connections made, getting, you know, 30 students sat down in front of, which we were trying to do by Zoom, um, involves a lot of coordination with teachers who are also trying to, you know, deliver the rest of the educational curriculum. So, yeah, the, the, the benchmark itself is quite um, achievable. Mm. But um, and there's, you know, it's still very young, very early days. They're still trying to in- implement the softwares to actually monitor because, you know, I'm, I'm a great believer in if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And the, the schools are having to implement softwares, which means training, getting teachers understanding how to use that, getting the, the students understanding how to interact with it. So it's, it's that typical slow burn to getting mm. initiatives on boarded. It's a big that, job. That's essentially what the Gatsby benchmarks are trying to do is that, you know, government have recognised that building in 
to the education programs, contacts between students and business is so vital to help them, if nothing else, choose their career path. Mm. How, many, how often do we hear the kids saying, I don't know what I want to do? Yeah, no, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> but there is that commitment there yeah. to make that so happen. It's trying to give them a bit more exposure to the working environment. Mm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And thank you for sharing those uh, examples of things that you're involved with that might inspire other people to go off and research ways in which they could contribute to yeah. they're all, always enterprise advisors and it isn't that much time you know it might be two three hours a month I think they do suggest that it could be up to eight hours or one day a month but mm-hmm. obviously prevailing conditions have meant I've not spent anywhere near that amount of time so yeah fantastic thank you so You've talked a little bit about your passion for the environment and inspiring young people and, and the satisfaction that you get from that work as well. But I'd like to invite you to share a bit more about what inspires you in business. In terms of the force for good? Or... Uh, yeah, or just more generally, kind of why do you do what you do, I suppose? I'm interested to hear kind of what motivates you, what, what is your bigger purpose in business my my big driver is keeping me sane (laughs) (laughs) for me my business has now become um, the stimulus that I need in life um I I come from a background where both my parents were in very much a sort of a nine till five well it wasn't even nine till five in my father's case it was six in the morning till six at night very very hard workers in what we used to call the rat race and the, you know the, the philosophy in life then was you had to uh, you, know, you lived to work, and I saw once my parents had retired, um, they were so exhausted and had become so ill because their entire sort of forty or fifty years of work had just been a you know continual hard slog, and you know well being mindfulness didn't exist. It was literally they'd caught into this trap of this is what life is all about. Um, We weren't rich. We weren't poor. You know, we did start to get holidays into my teens and uh, and have a comfortable life. But that was because they were working like crazy. But I think it's because the most poignant part of their life for me was probably the last 15 or 20 years. My father's diagnosis made him sort of gradually become less mobile. And so he was left not really having um, the ability to enjoy life mm. um, and that really affected me quite strongly emotionally and mentally and I you know obviously from his um, perspective he wasn't um, you know he wasn't uh, eating badly he'd given up smoking in the 70s he didn't have a bad lifestyle but he got ill and I sort of made it my um, ambition to I'm going to stay as fit as possible and as healthy as possible so that I can enjoy life as much yeah. as possible. And part of that, what I did recognise is that the moment that, for example, that my mum finished working for her retirement, her work and her life had been nothing but going to the office and she had nothing outside of that. Mm. Um, and so I was determined to enjoy my work. And you know, I, I don't spend you know, 90 hours a week on my business. My business is there because I love getting people to be more organized I love to create order out of chaos and I've, already, I've already done it in the house the house is tidy to the end so I need to do it somewhere else now and that is also where my OCD-ness comes through in in everything's got to be in its place and a place for everything and there are 
you know, if you can do things simply and without a lot of, um, you know, chaos going on around you, then I feel good when I have helped people get in control. And that is what stimulates me and makes me get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Um, so and but I also promised myself I never want to feel that I have got nothing to get out of bed for in the morning. I've got a very rich social life. I've got a very sort of privileged group of friends that and I have found that work life balance. But I don't think I will ever be reaching a date that becomes my retirement date. Mm. I, I can take on as much or as little work as I need to. So long as, you know, between myself and my husband, we've got enough to cover our, you know, basic outgoings. I no longer have any desire for material things. <laughs> um, you know, I don't have the big car, uh, big house. We're quite comfortable. So they, I think as you move into that sort of third age, which sounds ridiculous, I'm in my late 50s, it's not quite third age, you start to get a completely different, needs and wants mm. I think you go through school and everything's about oh what am I going to be when I grow up and then you go through the growing up and the working thinking oh I need as much money as possible but then once I think different people have got different thresholds I've reached I've reached a level of comfort that I just don't feel like I need anything else yeah but I do want to have a purpose in life and so that's why Luxi for me is completely satisfying my OCD-ness to help people get organised and be more profitable. Obviously, they've got to have some sort of return on their investment for getting me to help them. Um, but it is satisfying my need to do something that is what, you know, for me, it's not being a mother to somebody, it's not being a wife to somebody, it's being me doing what I have created and hopefully, you know, being the best at it. Mm. That, that's what drives me. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. And I'm interested to hear um, a bit more about your journey. Obviously, I gave an introduction at the beginning about um, your career path and some of the varied jobs that you've had along the way. Um, but I'm just interested to hear a little bit more about that journey in your own words. Um, what, what do you think have been the highlights for you um, from your work so far? <laughs> and, and what lessons have you learned along the way? <laughs> Um, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned, it's not a lesson, it's more of a, a, you know, how life works is you never know what's going to be around the corner. <laughs> and I mean, I've effectively been through three completely separate careers, which, you know, at 18, you never think you're going to end up chopping and changing. And I, I started to find out, actually, that I think I've got a biorhythm of about seven years or it's just I get bored after seven years. Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, there is that thing about the seven-year itch, isn't there? It, well, exactly. But and every seven I, years, we're a different person, aren't we? Because all of the cells in our body rejuvenate. That I didn't know, and I should Yeah, you should know that, because you're a biologist. Did I tell you that? That's no, I, I'm sure I've read that somewhere. But after seven years, you're, you're effectively a completely new person, because none yeah. of the cells from seven years before are still there. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's interesting. I think yeah. I'll go away and read that. And apparently the average um, time to move house is every seven years as well. Oh, well, that, that wasn't quite in my case. We were moving house practically every 18 months when I was <laughs> at the peak of sort of, you know, the travelling around with the management consulting. So, yeah, I've, I've been through a few more houses than that. But it's interesting because that's from a very scientific perspective, which is like three quarters of me is more science, but I'm also a great believer in fate, which is not science, it's more psyche. 
Um, and I've, uh, you know, I've probably over the last 20 years, I've managed to start stopping making rash knee jerk decisions and just recognize that no, sometimes it's best just to sit it out for a few days or a few weeks or even a few months. And in my expression is wait for the stars to align. And <laughs> you see, I, I physically get this sense of what a very good friend of mine and I call it dis, the discombobulated feeling. No, something just, it just doesn't sit right with you. Mm. It just waits. And then one day that feeling lifts and you just think, yeah, the stars have aligned because it's all come together by default rather than design mm. that that has you know my journey through my career and there's a couple of interesting points in that that actually freaked me out when things happened um but you know my, my all through my school years I dreamed of working in a laboratory wearing a white coat playing around with test tubes and bunts and burners which any scientist that are working in labs now will probably be laughing at me <laughs> even those exist. anyone does that yeah so I, I went to college and did my three years of um, biology and this is one of the sad things about the careers path that we were advised on when I was sort of 17, 18. Nobody told me that you can actually do a degree in medical laboratory sciences. And it's only when I got to college and was doing the biology degree in the same building, there were students doing med lab sciences. As mm. And I thought, why didn't I know about that? Because that's what I would really have loved to have done. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just stuck with the path that I was on. But then I came out of college and the first job that I got was working in the London Hospital in the medical microbiology laboratories. Uh, quite gruesome. You're sitting on different benches. One bench would be sort of um, analysing and plating up the urines, the bloods, the sputums, um, all the biopsies coming down from the theatre. So if you're interested in biology, it was mm, fascinating. Yeah, it was. It was fascinating for about two or three hours every morning when all of the cultures would be coming out from the autoclaves and the you know incubators overnight and you'd be looking at the, working out what bacteria had grown um, or organisms protozoa etc and defining what the antibiotics might be needed and that would then go on the report back up to the ward so that the doctors would be prescribing the correct medication that was all really really exciting Sadly for me, I'm not a person who likes repetitive mundane mm -hmm. jobs. The afternoons were spent sat on the bench receiving your 700 urines and there'd be five of us in our little white coats and Bunsen burners and test tubes plating up or dipping all of these urines. So you were literally sat on a production line yeah. for five hours every afternoon and you're under pressure because you cannot have samples waiting by the end of the day. You have to finish. Mm -hmm. And in that environment, you also have 24 hour, you know, people on call 24 hours because if there's emergency samples coming down overnight. So that was I actually lasted three months in that job and got so disillusioned. And not least, I was earning an NHS salary, which in those days was about five thousand six hundred pounds a year. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I'm not going to get very rich quick doing this. So. Um, I, I got a newspaper, the Daily Express or something, that one of the nurses had left in the nursing home um, that I was staying in. And there was an advert for environmental consulting, which I applied for and I got the job. And that mm. was basically becoming an independent um, air monitoring analyst uh, running around London in a little mobile laboratory monitoring the um, removal of asbestos in so many buildings around London and that was an absolute dream of a job it paid a fortune because it was all nights and weekends 
and you were working with some of the real sort of sort of the earth, the rough diamond contractors stripping the asbestos out. So that was a very unusual career. It's so different <laughs> as well. Yeah. 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 yeah uh, fascinating. So, you, yeah, you've, you've had so many different kind yeah. of environments that you've been in. Um, I guess if you were looking back over everything that you've done um, and, and sort of took one top tip from that to share with other people who are maybe just starting out in business or are already running a business, um, what would your top tip be? Or some words of wisdom for other entrepreneurs? Surround yourself by experts in the areas that you're not sure about in your business. Mm -hmm. I think that's the one thing. When I started up Aluxide, despite the fact that I've got 20, 30 years experience in, in corporate and SME environment, and had spent 12 years consulting to large corporates, you're not an expert in everything. And as, as you well know, Anne Wynne, my, my area of weakness is sales and marketing. It's not an area I was ever given any real formation in. I was very operational. Um, and so when I came into my, when I started to set up Aluxi, I was surrounding myself with the likes of yourself as a marketing strategist, branding experts, the graphic designers to help me build a brand and understand how to get to my marketplace. And without all of that expert advice, I would be nowhere, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, all of my expertise is only as good as it can be when I actually get in front of people and understand how to actually promote myself as being the expert. And that was the part that I had no idea. Mm. And you know, some of the very few business books that I have read, Richard Branson was one of them. And that, that really came across strongly in his approach is, you know, I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't know how to do it. So I just paid all the experts to, you know, brought in the, the, the different professions and people with the knowledge and expertise to help me achieve my goal. So as a business owner, you cannot think that you can be an expert in everything. You've got to be really humble and know where your um, strengths lie and then cover your weaknesses by finding good, solid people in, in those areas to help you. Yeah, brilliant. I, I do think it is a challenge, though, for lots of small businesses um, and people just starting out on their own where you don't have much money. Exactly. You sort of feel like you need to do it all yourself because you don't have you know, money to invest in bringing in help or you that, just yeah. yeah you want to save as much as you can and cut and corners was where and costs, I, I so. was trying to dip into the family finances to pay for my first website to pay for some you know the, the marketing advice for the branding um the graphic designs the logo the business cards you know the basic stuff um we, so in that sense i was quite privileged that we did have some funding to be able to put into the business to start with mm, where is that personal investment isn't it yeah. And nowadays, and this is the other, maybe another piece of advice is check what grants and funds are available because they're, the government are so wanting to help businesses succeed because they need to rebuild the jobs. And, you know, we're wanting to now make Britain much more self-sufficient, maybe. And so there is so much opportunity to get your business started through the funding and the grants that are available. Um, and especially like, for example, the low case, if you're a business that is, and this is where the force for good comes in, who is trying to get something that is, you know, a low carbon uh, business or anything that is, is creating jobs in an environmentally friendly, sustainable way, then the government are really wanting to promote that as well. So there is money out there to help you get the right people in. And there's so much free advice as well. Mm between 18 and 30 you can surround yourself by experts for free at the Kent Foundation 
because they're not just mentoring, but if, you know, if, a, if a small business owner or a micro business startup has got a specific issue, we will just draw on the resources that of all the volunteers that help with the Kent Foundation. And they will sort of, you know, spend an hour or two with that person helping them through that particular dilemma. So there's a lot of free resource out there. And that's what we have to really harness to get these businesses being successful. Yeah, fantastic. It's really great to hear about that. So just before we go, I'm going to wrap up in a moment. Um, I'm going to invite you to share your contact details if people want to get in touch with you. Um, and any last words that you, you want to say? Over okay. to you. In, get in touch with me. Um, my mobile phone is my only mobile phone. 07717 You can email me. That's really easy. It's Linda. L-I-N-D-A at aluxi, sorry, aluxi.co.uk, linda at aluxi.co.uk. Aluxi is spelled A-L-L-U-X-I. I'm not sure if there's video on this recording as well. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn and there's quite a lot of information on, on, on my profile. And my website, if you'd like to hear more about the programmes that I can deliver, is aluxi.co.uk. Um, and last words, no, I think... Try and always find different paths away from work. You've got to find a work-life balance. And if you can get your business being successful, then you have the right to choose how much time you want to dedicate into that. I no longer work evenings and weekends, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you have to take care of yourself before you can start taking care of other people. So it's really important to look out for number one first. But that, that's, that's my advice after 40 years of not looking after myself and getting into major health issues and recognising I had to change and turn my whole life around to be a little bit more kinder to me. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your experience and top tips and lessons. Um, and yeah, that's been really interesting. And I hope people will take lots of ideas away from what you shared today. So thank you again. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening in to today's Get Fruitful Conversation. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, I invite you to give us a five-star rating. Leave a review, subscribe to the podcast, and tell your friends and colleagues to check it out too. This will help us reach a wider audience and make sure you don't miss out on future episodes. If you'd like to get in touch, connect with other like-minded people in business, and continue conversations about topics discussed here, then I'd love you to come and find our community online. It's free to join us. Just search for the Get Fruitful Business for Good group over on Facebook, visit my website, getfruitfulmarketing.com, or click the links in the show notes. I'd love to hear what business for good means for you. Until next time, goodbye for now.